Okay, the story I'm going to tell you, it's, it's going to be what actually happened to me, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, when I, when I first started my life, and I'd heard about the God that would be mean and vengeful, and you'd sin, you'd, you'd go to hell, and I had a chip on my shoulder because I felt he was promised me something, and trust me, what he promises us, we cannot comprehend. And, and when somebody promises me something I can't comprehend, he's promising me nothing. And then he created me where I was weak, and I'd give in to temptation, so I'm thinking, what kind of God is this? It's in keeping with what I learned about him, that he promises you absolutely nothing, and he asks everything of you. And then after my experience, I found out he gives us everything and asks absolutely nothing of us. The gift is that profound. And, and what happened is we had a Huey shot up. The major said, go find out who got him. My job was to, I was a scout pilot. And I was gifted with the ability to find the enemy and, and no matter how well hidden they were. So I went out and luckily or regrettably I found them. And went, to make a long story short, we got shot up pretty bad. We took a hundred and something hits in that little loach and shot part of my controls out. Almost flew my left arm off and I got my leg shot up. So we crashed and things started getting kind of vague at that point. I understand my gunner pulled me out of the aircraft. I thought I climbed out. I do remember and this has a, a, a point there was a little bush near my head, and I realized, oh, this is the center of the base camp. So what was surprising is I never felt any pain. When I was laying down and my gunner was bandaged my arm, I told him to leave, we're not getting out of there. And he said, no, he wouldn't leave me. And things started getting kind of blurry. My vision started getting blurred, and that's, I was the kind of guy that wouldn't ask a whole lot from God until I needed something. And I needed to get out of there because we're in the middle of the base camp. I'm shot up very bad. My gunner got a bullet through the butt. And I said, we're going to get captured or we're going to get shot or I'm going to die somehow. And I started bargaining with God. I'll be good. You know, I'll be good for a week. Just get me out of here, God. I know that it's going to be tough. And then things started getting kind of gray on me. And I was wondering what's happening. I said, God, please don't let me die. Please don't let me die. I was terrified. And then things went black, pitch black. And now I know there's no way I'm going to get out of there because it's pitch black and I'm helpless. And I can't even hardly move. I've lost so much blood by then. And then the unique thing started happening. I started feeling pretty good. And I said, what's happening to me? And I realized I was dying. People say I'm dying. I was actually in the physical process of dying. And at that point, I stopped being afraid. It's not... I don't know how other people die, but for me, I thought dying was a horrible, painful, terrible thing, and it was actually an incredibly pleasant thing. And as I was dying, I accepted it, and I said, God, this is obviously your will. There's no bargaining anymore. I quit bargaining with him because I knew I was dying. And as I was fading back, all of a sudden, you hear about the bright light. The brightest thing that you can imagine is a dark hole compared to the bright light that I saw. And as I saw that, I started feeling good, and I got Demerol in the hospital, all the things for pain. They can't touch the feeling I was starting to feel. And, and I'm, I'm laying there in this beautiful, bright light, which I, I describe later as it wasn't God is the light, he, but He's love. I try to imagine as He energy. What exactly is God? One thing, He is literally made up of love. And I started feeling that love around me, and at one point, I remember looking down, seeing my head's next to this bush. And it was years later for dawn of me, you can't see your own head. So at that point, I had that, that out-of-body experience. And all of a sudden, I went back into this little speck. And, and the light's getting brighter, brighter. And I'm expanding out. And everything within this bubble 
was like my new life in heaven. And, and I expanded our member into the roots, in the soil surrounding the roots of this little bush next to my head. And I could see every molecule of water and the nutrients and the cells inside the plant from the inside, the outside, the top, the bottom. And it was many, many years later I realized plants take the nutrients up through molecules. I saw that back in July 28th of 1970. And as I'm expanding out, I'm wondering what's going on, and I start feeling this presence. And it was God. And He let me know that He's now surrounding me, protecting me, and I'm expanding out. And now what words I tell you were words, He didn't speak to me. He made His thought known to me. Like I, I tell my friends, I'll say red. And all of a sudden, you'll see the color red in your head. Or I'll say apple, and you visualize an apple. So His thoughts were made known to me. And as I'm expanding out, he said to me, in my interpretation, he said, you will expand out into the cosmos and know all these things. We'll expand out into the cosmos. And, and I was given power that was immeasurably more powerful than I ever imagined God to be. And I was still cocky. I was still myself. I remember kind of puffing my chest up saying, I'm a super God. Not disrespect for God, but I'm a super God. We cannot comprehend what we're going to become. It's immeasurably more powerful than God is, that we think He is. As I'm kind of getting kind of cocky, God made His thought known to me, and He gave me a vision. He's holding me in His hands like a premature infant. This is what you are. And, and, and I was telling Brian, it's like I'm born again into heaven this time, but He saw me, and he, I felt His proudness like a, a parent feels a child when they're first born. And, and I'm thinking, well, this is confusion. He sees me as a little child. I felt his emotions. I felt he was proud of me. Here's this new infant coming into his world. But I'm still the super God. <laughs> and then he smiled, and I felt him smile, and I felt his amusement. He said, even in this state that you were in as a super God, you cannot begin to comprehend what I am. We can't comprehend what we're going to be, and He's still infinitely more powerful and loving and caring than that. So that kind of put me back in my place. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'll be able to go anywhere, and then all of a sudden, He kind of backed away, and I'm thinking, I don't have a body. This is frightening. It, it started to frighten me. And I actually went like this, and I could feel my fingers in my hands. And I said, well, I'm, I can't see me, but I'm here. And then I, He said, you're, you're to go out and be out and be everywhere. So I kind of stepped out of my body and it was like all of a sudden I could be anywhere in His creation at one time and I could focus on whatever I wanted to focus on. Then I went back in my body. And I, I went back and forth a couple times. And all of a sudden I started thinking every time I went back and where I could feel like I'm in a body, it was horrible. It was so confining. I wanted to be out being free and, and out in the, like the cosmos with God. As I'm experiencing all these things, the one that, that, that really surprised me was was His love. And, and I'd say take a, a dictionary and take all the bad words out, regrets, um, you know, sorrow, fear, embarrassment, they're not there. There is absolutely nothing in heaven that is bad. It's a hundred percent pure love and happiness. All the things that I did in my past, you could remember them, but they were all forgiven. It's like, God, I made you that way for a reason which was not made known to me. And I'm feeling this love, and I tell people His love was so strong, I literally felt it. It's like being in the air when it's calm. You know the air is there, but you can't feel it. But then you soak in a warm, warm bath, that warm water, you can feel that God's love was so strong, I literally felt it. 
you know, I felt his presence. And I, and I, I knew I could be anywhere in love, and I was forgiven. And I thought, this isn't a mean, vengeful God. And I was even telling Brian, I, I remember the way I grew up, and they said the people cower, and they stand in the back of their church. I'm not worthy of being up front near, near God. Well, I had good, loving parents. When I met my dad, we'd hug each other. I didn't cower up to my dad. Well, God doesn't want us to cower in front of him. He wants to, he created us strictly to love. He has one need that I thought I felt. He needs to love. That's why he created all this stuff. He didn't create us so he could lord over us and dominate over us and make us feel inferior. He wants to love us. And, and I thought, that's, that's not the God that I grew up knowing. I, I, I'm not going to be punished for, for making my mistakes if I ask God to forgive me. He will. And another thing I, I saw that he will not pull you kicking and screaming into heaven. If you don't want to go, he didn't even know if it was known, but you're not coming. You have to want him to forgive you and ask him to forgive you. And he'll bring you, no matter how bad you've been, how horrible you've been, how ashamed of yourself you are, he forgives you if you just ask for him to forgive you and he takes you into heaven. So I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Especially the dying part. I, I thought everybody, my family, my friends, my, my loved ones, I, I finished a tour in Vietnam and I volunteered to go back. And it was on that extension where, you know, this happened. I made it two months into my extension. And I thought, oh, man, and I started praying. I said, Mom and Dad, I'm sorry that I came back. I made it through my first tour a little beat up, but not, not serious. And now I came back here, and I've hurt you because I was so selfish. I wanted to come back and experience this, this thing that I thought I was fighting for their freedom. And all of a sudden, God said, you're not ready. I said, yes, I'm, I'm ready. You can't, you, you can't be doing what you think you're doing. You're going to try to send me back? I won't go back. You can't show me this and let me feel this love and this no worries of any kind as I will be alive for infinity and I'll send me back in my body and it's shot up and it's hurting in the middle of the jungles. I won't go back and you put me back in my body. I'll make sure I die. I felt, like I said, you can feel his emotion. I felt his sternness. And he said to me, he wasn't angry, but he was stern. He's tough love. And he said, no, no, you cannot take this. Only I can give this to you, and if you ever try to take it, it will never be yours. And I remember, I don't usually talk like this. I'm not flowery and, 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 and religious speaking. I said, Father, your will be done. And I went back, and, and, and the books say sometimes it's a tunnel of light. It's a tunnel of love. The light thing, is, to me, in my opinion, is a misnomer. You're surrounded strictly by love, and the love is, is a, a bright light so bright that I call it an incredible clearness because the mind can't comprehend anything that bright. We're that limited. And as I'm going down this tunnel, the demons from hell were trying to grab my soul. And it's like, again, being at a zoo and you're behind a fence and you look at the horrible animals, they don't frighten you, you're curious. And I couldn't feel their pain and suffering, but I was made aware of their tremendous torment in hell. And they don't even have the, uh, the luxury of knowing they've got your soul. I didn't see any bad souls in when it was just to cast out demons from, from that were in heaven now in hell. And they were trying to get my soul because they never know if they've got you. They have to fight constantly to get your soul because they, they really don't ever have it. Because no matter how late it is in your life, I'm laid out there in the jungles dying. And all of a sudden I get religion. I says, God, forgive me. Please, please, I'm sorry for everything I've done. 
and of course he forgave me. And I was sincere, it wasn't one of these false promises. So as I, I'm going back down into my body, then all of a sudden I'm back in it and I'm confused. I'm thinking, God, you take me back. No, God, don't take me back. And then I'm back to where I was. Where God, I'm bargaining with, don't let me die. Don't let me die. And, and then, of course, we were eventually rescued after several hours. And uh, I went to the hospital, and we're going to some of my friends. The dad died again on the table there, and I didn't have the experience. And they told my friends he died. We've lost him. Go home. And there's still friends of mine that don't know I'm alive. But the experience that I got from that is all the little pettiness and what people annoy us and all that. It doesn't mean anything. Compared to, to, to what we're going to get, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a little you know, prick on our side. And I, I tell people now, I know he will forgive me for what I do, but I'm not going to take it for granted. You can't come up and say, I can sin, therefore I can ask for God's forgiveness. You have to have the sincerity. And I see something where it's bad. I tell people that give me the wrong change, for example. And I said, you, you gave me the wrong amount of change. And he says, Why, why'd you do that? And I said, because he's watching. It's for him. And the only sadness I felt in heaven, and it wasn't my sadness, it was God's sadness. And when I was going through that torment, knowing that my friends would be suffering and all that, thinking I'd die this mean, horrible death. And my buddy Steve, who was supposed to be here, regrettably, he couldn't make it. He tormented himself for years thinking I died this horrible death because he drug me through the jungle for two and a half hours popping bad guys. I'm within three feet of him and he has a horrible experience. And he said, here I drug you through the woods for two and a half hours. You suffered, you're moaning, you're crying, and then I let you die. I should let you die immediately. The pain you went through, and I said, I don't have a re recollection of it. But, it, sorry, I just had a flashback. <laughs> Sometimes I, I'm still there. And... Uh, he, he, he couldn't separate that what happened to me then, I'm the same person. And I said, all that was forgiven, all that was wonderful, but God sensed that heartache that I had, and you're not supposed to experience anything bad in heaven. It's impossible, you can't. And that's when he said, you're not ready, because I was experiencing regrets. And his sadness, and it was made known to me, I, I'm saddened over what you do to each other. When we do things to each other and harm each other and hurt each other, we're not hurting each other, although we are, we're hurting him. It saddens him what we do to each other. He created us all to be wonderful and have a wonderful gift and sometimes being human, I don't know why we have that weakness. God knows and it wasn't made known to me that it hurts him when we hurt each other. We lie from each other, we ridicule each other. That's a, a direct assault on, on his emotions. And so I feel blessed that I had a chance to go through that. It honestly, and I'm not being facetious here, it was worth getting shot for. And I wonder one thing is, in the Bible it says, blessed is he who believes and has not seen. Well, I wasn't that strong, and I had a chip on my shoulder. Maybe that's what he protected me from, is I am here, I do love you. And he let me see because I didn't believe without seeing. And it, it changed my life, and even though I'm still human, I still make my mistakes. I constantly pray to God, give me the strength. I don't want to lose what I saw. I want to be back in your love, and please, you know, just help me be strong and thank you for everything you've done. Don't take him for granted. And thank you for the blessing he gave me and that let me be in his presence for, well, there's no time up there, so it was an instant, it was a million years. And uh, that's pretty much the end of what happened to me. I came back in my body and regrettably I was rescued. <laughs> and I'm here until the next time and I look forward to going home again. And thank you for listening and, but,
Do you have a purpose in your life and does life have meaning to you? Or is your life cracking up and going all to pieces? The big question today is, what is meaning? 50 years ago when I started preaching, the philosophical question was, what is truth? Today's question is, what is the point? Andrew Morris, the great philosopher in France, wrote, the universe is indifferent. Who created it? Why are we here on this puny mud heap spinning in infinite space? He said, I have not the slightest idea. And there are many people that take that attitude. Albert Camus, who was the great philosopher that everybody quoted a few years ago said, man cannot live without meaning. Are you trying to live without meaning in your life? Now here are some of the things that the philosophers were saying that people think about when they're alone. When you're alone, here's what many people that are here tonight think about. First you think about, well I have to suffer. Maybe now or soon. I must struggle to make ends meet. I must struggle in my marriage. I must struggle with my girlfriend, my boyfriend, because it seems that things are going wrong. I must struggle to make grades in school. I'm at the mercy of chance. I feel guilty all the time and I don't know what I'm guilty of. I ask the question when I'm alone, who am I? I know that I must die and I'm afraid to die. I don't want to die, but I know I'm going to have to die. Every person in this audience 75 years from now will be dead. There are hundreds of people here tonight that have to decide tonight and your decision tonight, yes or no, will decide where you'll be a hundred years from now. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't care if the whole outfit turns against God. I don't care if all of you turn to idolatry. My house and me, we're going to serve the true and the living God. Have you ever said that? Robert Browning exclaimed a hundred years ago, this business of life is made up of terrible choices. And it is. We have to make some of these choices in our lives. Adam had to make that choice. Was he going to build his world with God and have peace in the world and justice in the world? Or was he going to go his own way? He decided to go his own way and to listen to the devil. Some people say, well, if I follow my conscience, isn't that enough? No, because your conscience can be dead. Many people have a dead conscience. You see, you, you, you tell a lie when you're a child and your conscience bothers you. Now you can look a person straight in the face and tell a lie and it doesn't bother you at all. There was a time when you do some other things that bother you, now you can do it and it doesn't bother you. You say, well, that's not so bad then. Your conscience doesn't bother you. Why? Because your conscience has been seared or it's dead. People say, well, being sincere, if I'm sincere in life, isn't that enough? No, it's not enough. Well, if I, I, I do so, so many good things for people and I smile at people and I'm friendly with people, don't you think God understands if I commit a little sin now and again and He'll understand. He's a good God. He's a loving God and all that. No, God doesn't understand. Then there are people who say, well, I reformed. 
Yes, you can reform the rest of your life, but that's not it. So there's a choice that you have, one life or the other. Which will it be? A life of surrendered Lord and Savior or a life in which you surrender to yourself and your own desires and your own pleasures and your own greed and your own jealousies. You have to make a choice. Which will it be? Not only two ways of life, but also you have to choose between two destinies. What is your destiny? Where will you be 50, 100 years from tonight? You'll be somewhere. The real you, your body will be in the grave perhaps, but you, the real you, your soul, your spirit, the thing that thinks and remembers and loves and so forth, that's the part of you that will live forever, either in heaven or hell, and you've got to make a choice between the two. You see, your soul is important to the devil. He wants your soul. He'll pay any price. And some of you are selling your soul so cheaply. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The devil will give you the whole world if you'll follow him. But some of you'll follow him and he won't give you anything. You just follow him because you don't, you're like the pig that's following the man that's dropping the beans, going to the slaughter pen. Every little bit he drops a bean and the pig goes following right along. And you don't even think that you're following the devil in the wrong direction. Be aware. There are certain things that have not changed and will never change. The first thing that has never changed in all these centuries, the nature of God has not changed. He said, I am the Lord, I change not. In all these centuries, he's from everlasting to everlasting. He had no beginning, he has no end. I don't understand that, but I accept it. He's the one thing that we can count on is God. He's unchanging in his holiness. God is unchanging in judgment. It says the Lord shall judge the ends of the earth. God is unchanging in love. God loves you. That's hard to believe. That's hard to take in. But God loves you. And if you were the only person in the whole world, God would love you. God is love. That's one thing I want you to remember when we leave that we've said. And then the second thing, the Word of God has not changed. Not only the nature of God has not changed, but the Word of God has not changed. He tells us where we came from. He tells us where we're going. He tells us how to live every day. The third thing that hasn't changed, human nature has not changed. Yes, God will never change. The Word of God will never change. But you have to change if you are to go to heaven. If you are to have a a new life here and have purpose and meaning in your life, you have to change. The first thing you have to do is repent. The second thing is to believe, and that word believe means to commit. That's the marriage vow that we take. It's not just getting married, it's a lifetime commitment. Has there been a time when you received him as your Lord and your Savior and said, Lord, with your help, I want to follow you? I'm going to pray and I'm going to be as faithful to you as I can. Some people say, I'm trying to hold on. 
You don't need to hold on. He holds you. Just turn loose and let him come into your heart. Are you willing to change your way of living? That's repentance, to change your mind, to change the direction of your life. And you can't repent by yourself. The Holy Spirit has to help you do that. And then you come by faith, and faith means commitment. When I stepped on this platform last night, I'd never been on this platform before. I didn't get down and examine it to see if it would hold me up. I accepted by faith that the carpenters that built it, built it to hold a man. He will meet all those longings and all those needs and give you a new life. He can come into your family. He can come into that office where you've been having trouble. He can come into your schoolroom. He can come into every phase of your life and make you a new person. He can make those ends meet. He can help you meet those payments. He can help you in looking for a job. He can give you total assurance that your sins are gone and that God will never hold you accountable for them again. They're forgiven. And he receives you with open arms and he'll do it tonight if you'll let him. I want him to take all of me. I surrender my life to him and I say, Lord, I am willing to repent of my sins and turn by faith to you and put my total confidence and my total faith in you. One afternoon near Paris, my father and I visited the great cathedral at Chartres. Malcolm Miller, a world expert on the cathedral, pointed out three sets of sharp stained glass windows. He said they tell a story. The first window show Adam and Eve leaving the Garden of Eden. The second recount the parable of the Good Samaritan. The third depict the Lord's second coming. Taken together, these stained glass windows can describe our eternal journey. They invite us to welcome all with room in his inn. Like Adam and Eve, we come into a world of thorns and thistles on our dusty roads to Jericho, we're beset upon, wounded, and left in pain. Though we should help each other, too often we pass to the other side of the road, for whatever reason. The Good Samaritan puts us on his own donkey, or in some stained glass accounts, carries us on his shoulders. The Good Samaritan, a symbol of our Savior, promises to return. Jesus Christ invites us to become like him, a Good Samaritan, to make his inn, his church, a refuge for all from life's bruises and storms. We prepare for his promised second coming, as each day we do unto the least of these, as we would do unto him. The least of these is each of us. We come to the end as we are, with the foibles and imperfections we each have, yet we all have something needed to contribute. Our journey to God is often found together. We belong as a united community, whether confronting pandemics, storms, wildfires, droughts, or quietly meeting daily needs. 
as our hearts change and we receive his image in our countenance, we see him and ourselves in his church. In him we find clarity, not dissonance. In him we find cause to do good, reason to be good, and increasing capacity to become better. In him we discover abiding faith, liberating selflessness, caring change, and trusting God. In his end, we find and deepen our personal relationship with God our Father and Jesus Christ. He entreats us to make his inn a place of grace and space where each can gather with room for all. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we're all equal with no second-class groups. We mourn, rejoice, and are there for each other. In his end, we learn perfection is in Jesus Christ, not in the perfectionism of the world. Unreal and unrealistic, the world's insta-perfect filtered perfectionism can make us feel inadequate, captive to swipes, likes, or double taps. In contrast, our Savior Jesus Christ knows everything about us we don't want anyone else to know, and He still loves us. His is a gospel of second and third chances, made possible by His atoning sacrifice. He invites each of us to be a good Samaritan, less judgmental and more forgiving of ourselves and of each other, even as we strive more fully to keep His commandments. At His Inn, we become part of a gospel community centered in Jesus Christ, anchored in restored truth, living prophets and apostles, and another testament of Jesus Christ, the Book of Mormon. He brings us to his inn and also to his house, the Holy Temple. We rejoice that God loves his children and our different backgrounds and circumstances in every nation, kindred, and tongue, with room for all in his inn. Disciples of Jesus Christ come from everywhere, in every shape, size, hue, age, each with talents, righteous desires, and immense capacities to bless and serve. Our Good Samaritan promises to return. Miracles occur when we care for each other as he would. As we create room in his inn, welcoming all, our Good Samaritan can heal us on our dusty mortal roads. With perfect love, our Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, promise peace in this world and eternal life in the world to come. <laughs>